Welcome to Meet Your New New York City Council. I'm Jim Carney, Professor of Journalism and Media Studies at Lehman College. This is a series of interviews designed to introduce the people of the Bronx to their returning and incoming New York City Council members. This series is produced by the Journalism and Media Studies Department at Lehman College, City University of New York, in conjunction with City Limits. It includes a series of interviews done by journalism students with the council members themselves. Journalism student Brittany Albain spoke to city council member Amanda Farias, who represents Soundview, Castle Hill, Parkchester, Clawson Point, and Harding Park. So first I wanna discuss your domestic violence action plan in a district where citizen alerts are going off every single night regarding you know, domestic violence issues. How do you plan to help the victims es- escape their environment? Yeah, so you know, there's a lot of different ways that the city and state can work together to partner to make sure we're providing resources and services for our um, family members and individuals throughout our communities that actually need this assistance. So for me, you know, one of the biggest talking points here, one of the biggest points is that Black women and Bronx women particularly suffer from the highest intimate partner homicides throughout New York City, you know, according to the, the last uh, 2019 um, review committee that we've we've been able to refer back to. And so really looking at how, as a city council member, I can partake in actively providing resources is how I created this plan. Um, so particularly looking at establishing additional family justice centers throughout the Bronx, I think most importantly, what people forget about with programming and resources here in in boroughs like ours, like the outer boroughs, um, is that we need to have extended daily and weekend hours, right? Family members, um, individuals, students are participating actively, either at work or in their school, most of the time in the day, and we're going out of our borough to do that. Um, And so we need the commuting time, we need the extra hours um, to come back home to be able to participate in any resources that were given. And then as a city council member, there is an intro that should be passed. Um, it, it actually is intro 371. It encourages cosmetologists to take a domestic violence training and be able to identify and respond to their clients um, who are victims or are giving signs that they are victims of domestic violence or sexual assault. Um, and this doesn't just cosmetologists. It's when I worked at the city council, I participated in going into nail salons and hair salons and massage parlors for people that are regularly seeing women, that are regularly um, engaging with women um, throughout our communities to to help them identify and be a partner um, in being able to provide resources and a a place of sanctuary for women. I think that's great because in Parkchester, we do have a beauty school right here. So I think adding that to the curriculum, I think that's great. So how can we as a district help combat domestic violence? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big things is really just talking about it and actively checking in on one another. When we think about domestic violence, we immediately think about, you know, partner woman to male, male to woman violence, but we're not talking about how domestic violence is also, you know, everyone that lives in the household. It could be young people, children, it could be seniors that are living in the household, and, and, it, and it expands beyond just physical abuse, it's also mental abuse. And so really, Talking about this openly, talking about um, how how folks can use you as an individual, as a safe haven, as a person to use as a soundboard or communicate with is really important. I think for Black and Latino and immigrant communities, we don't talk about it enough. 
um, we really need to be able to be open and engaging in a dialogue that it happens to people we know, it maybe happens to us, and that there are ways um, to get resources back at home. So I think one of the main things is really just engaging in open dialogue in our own communities. Um, let's move on to your animal advocacy plan, because I think that's something that's so unique um, and we don't hear about it a lot. So can you tell me a little bit about why this is one of your priorities? Truthfully, I just have a really closeness to animal welfare. It's when I was growing up, I had um, the idea that I would be a veterinarian. Obviously, I'm not because I'm a council member. But, <laughs> but I really just just have a deep care and concern for natural wildlife and pet care. I think they're, you know, they're our family members, and we are on their land in terms of like our wildlife. And we really need to take care of, of, of our animals particularly because they're as much as, you know, we are busy and in a major city and kind of can lose sometimes connection with the world around us. Like they are a part of the ecosystem and it's really important to make sure um, that there's a voice for them. So uh, that's particularly why I have an interest. So how do you plan to execute this? There's different ways to do it. I mean, there's different topics like a city council member can help determine the housing built in a neighborhood that doesn't or does allow families to move into that housing with animals, right? More times than not, um, you're seeing housing built that doesn't allow pets or only specific pets. You're even seeing shelters um, for families and women and children that don't allow their household pet. More times than not, though, the pet is with you for years, and it's really important. It's an important family member, and people need to be able to bring those uh, family members with them into their new housing. And so, you know, that's one aspect that I've been looking at. I've also been really prioritizing how we can look at protecting New York City wildlife or New York State wildlife. You know, we are coexisting with them, as I said before, and I think. What we're sometimes forgetting when we develop our city is glass or really nice looking buildings are hard to identify for wildlife. And so small things like um, addressing the risk of migrating bird collisions with glass buildings is something that we can manage at the city council. On another part, you know, I think there's a, a horse carriage industry that has been going on for a while that really needs um, deep advocacy. Um, it is a, a unionized workforce, but there are some harms happening, some major harm happening to the horses. And so the city council can tackle that as well and, and be able to be a bridge gapper there um, in identifying how to rectify the industry. Now let's talk about your plans for disability justice. In a district where there's little room um, for accommodations due to things like construction and other situations, how do you plan to proceed with this mission? I actually grew up with a person with disability in my household. My grandfather from diabetes actually lost his legs. And so I have a completely different perspective on what it's like at least to um, have to accommodate or, you know, reorganize your life around um, your household, around having someone with disabilities in your home. And, you know, I think there are things that we forget to think about, like job creation, like providing grant opportunities, or even just um, identifying the, the mistakes we've made or we've forgotten in our transit system. We can actually designate hiring criteria for persons with disabilities. I think what this pandemic has shown us more than ever is that we need to readapt and reimagine how work is actually viable for most people and really being able to expand telecommunications for remote work 
post-pandemic for people with disabilities. It's a larger policy platform that I'm, I've been running on called the Municipal Jobs Guarantee. That's a space where I've been pushing on creating different criteria like this for numerous different you know, um, buckets, but persons with disabilities is high on that. I also think like we don't offer enough um, state and federal uh, grant opportunities to help low-income people with disabilities pay for home improvements. Um, if you if you have someone in your house or if you're a person with disabilities, you know that a walker, a cane, wheelchair, all of that is pretty expensive. But having the additional things like moving, using the wheelchair accessible stairway to move folks from one floor to another, that's tens of thousands of dollars for families. And families like ours in the South Bronx cannot take on that cost. And more times than not, our healthcare system is not actually taking on the full cost or it takes, you know, months or years to get approved and actually get installed. So being able to fast track some of that and providing those grant opportunities is really important. And, you know, our main train hubs need to be ADA compliant and audio and visually accessible. You know, we're not thinking about the person that cannot hear or cannot see most of the time and how to make these spaces viable for them to be mobile. And, you know, as you know, in Parkchester, quite frankly, all of our train lines <laughs> in District 18 are not ADA compliant. Um, and there has been a big push. I've been pretty vocal as a state committee woman on making Parkchester train station ADA compliant. And there are state dollars that are dedicated to it. We just need to make the push to make sure post-COVID where everything was slowed down, that it actually gets accomplished. So what lasting impact do you want to leave on District 18? The, the main thing that comes to mind for me is being able to create a participatory and highly engaged community. I think right now, um, what we're seeing citywide is low voter turnout, um, less engagement every election cycle. Um, and that's really important to try to rectify because we can't have democracy if people aren't electing their elected officials, if people aren't um, fighting on single issue items, but also on larger community mobilization around things happening in the neighborhoods. So for me, I want to work really hard to have people feel empowered in co-governing with my office and with me um, in this district. It's our taxpayer dollars, it's our budget, and it's really important to make sure that once I leave, whenever that is, how, you know, however soon or however late that is, that people feel accountability from their electives and they feel that they're being heard and their voice is at the table. So that's the one thing I can do. Um, I will deem my time as a council member successful. Great. So Ms. Farias, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day for speaking with me and I wish you all the best. You've been listening to Meet Your New New York City Council, a special production of the Lehman College Journalism and Media Studies Department in conjunction with City Limits. This program was written and reported by journalism students of Lehman College. Special production assistance was provided by City Limits Online and Spanish language editor and reporter Daniel Parra. Engineering assistance was provided by the Bronx Journal engineer Yves Dussou. Special thanks to Professor Thomas O'Hanlon, Chair of the Lehman Journalism Department, and Dr. James Mann, Dean of the Lehman College School of Arts and Humanities. This program was produced and edited by me. I'm Jim Carney. 
For more information about the Journalism and Media Studies program, contact us at jms at lehman.cuny.edu. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.